Two seats on the Illinois Supreme Court are on the ballot in this election, and voters in those districts will decide which party controls the high court. A lot of money is flowing into those races, but is that really the best way of choosing judges? We'll talk to an expert on judicial selection on this edition of Capital Cast. Hello and welcome to Capital Cast, a regular podcast of Capital News Illinois. I'm Peter Hancock. Two races in this year's election are getting a lot of attention because they could determine partisan control of the Illinois Supreme Court. Illinois is one of only a handful of states that has partisan races for Supreme Court justices. It was put into the 1970 Constitution after delegates at the Constitutional Convention considered a number of other options. But is it really the best option, and should Illinois start considering other ways of selecting judges? Here to talk about that today is Douglas Keith. He is counsel at the Brennan Center for Justice's Democracy Program at New York University School of Law. He has written about the influence of money in politics and campaign finance in judicial elections, and he's joining us via Zoom. Mr. Keith, thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me. So as I mentioned, we have two judicial elections in Illinois this year. And just as background, Illinois elects justices by geographic districts, which is kind of unusual among the states. Both of these justices, both of these districts are in the suburban Chicago area. Uh, First of all, what do you think generally about partisan elections for what are ostensibly supposed to be nonpartisan positions? You know, uh, judicial elections were initially adopted centuries ago um, in the in the early 1900s in the progressive era as a uh, anti-corruption reform uh, judges were more often selected by appointment and the concern was you know those decisions were being made in smoke-filled rooms by with corrupt interests and the public had no idea what was going on so elections were going to bring those decisions into the sunlight and eradicate that corruption. And and a lot of those elections initially were partisan. Uh, There was then a movement uh, several decades later away from partisan elections. A lot of states that had adopted partisan elections moved towards nonpartisan because they decided the the partisan aspect of it uh, was undermining those anti-corruption goals and the parties still had too much say in in who became a judge. Today, whether you're looking at nonpartisan or partisan elections, neither is really serving that anti-corruption goal or that transparency goal. What we have in lots of states across the country, both states that elect judges in partisan and nonpartisan races, is a lot of money, a lot of money that is being, uh, the sources of which are being hidden from voters. Um, and uh, the a heavy party involvement in elections, whether or not the rules. Uh, and so I think there are, there are good questions to be asked about whether partisan or nonpartisan elections are better. Nonpartisan elections sometimes attract more outside interest group money because they feel the need to make clear where a judge's leanings are. Um, partisan elections uh, maybe give voters information on races that they might not otherwise have. Um, but the, the bigger question to me is whether judicial elections 
today uh, in any form are serving the purpose they were supposed to. Uh, so you've written about money in politics. Uh, two years ago here in Illinois, there was a successful campaign to not retain a sitting justice named Thomas Kilbride. There was nearly $10 million spent in that race, um, much of it coming from one billionaire businessman, Ken Griffin. This year, we have two Democratic candidates on the ballot who have each raised around $2 million, including $500,000 each from our sitting governor, Democrat J.B. Pritzker. And I'm just sort of wondering, what impact does that have on the courts, whether the money is coming from special interest groups, wealthy donors, or in this case, leaders of another branch of, of government? I, I think that, so judges will often frame this question in terms of what they think they are, uh, how they think they will respond to this money. You know, judges will say, look, I, I see it. I'm, a, I'm aware that this money's coming in, but I am capable of putting that aside and being fair and independent in my decision making. But the, the right question is, what does this money do to the public's perception of the courts? You know, the the court's only real authority comes from the public trust. They don't they don't have they don't control budgets like the assembly does. They don't control law enforcement like the governor does. All they have is the public's confidence that they're they're behaving that in a way that at least somewhat different than the other political branches. And donations like these, whether they're they're large donations from another elected official or large donations or outside support from an interest group or billionaire in the state with significant business interests, they all make it very hard for the public to trust that the judges actually are independent. You know, we, we did polling a while ago, um, asked the public what they thought the impact of money on judicial decision-making was, and 90% of the people we polled said they thought money in judicial elections affected judicial decision-making. So that should sort of tell us what we need to know about what impact this money has on the, on the courts and public's trust in it. Interesting, uh, in that polling, we also asked judges themselves, and 50% of judges said that they thought money in judicial elections was affecting judges' decision-making. Now, I'm, I'm sure they meant their colleagues and not themselves, um, but the fact that they were willing to acknowledge that is also pretty striking. Okay. Within recent years, the Illinois legislature has tried to put some controls over campaign finance in judicial races, um, both in terms of where the money comes from. I think they were trying to ban out-of-state money from influencing judicial elections. Um, that just got put on hold by a federal judge in a lawsuit where the plaintiffs are arguing, based on the Citizens United case, that these limits interfere with free speech. So if you have judicial, if you have an election system for judges, is there any way to get away from uh, that kind of money? So it's a, it's a challenging question that the U.S. Supreme Court has made more challenging through its recent um, cases like Citizens United, which, which I'm sure folks are familiar with. Um, but, but Citizens United really created the environment in which large contributions can thrive because they they uh, restricted the ability to for states to to limit independent spending uh, and then other decisions um, by 
the Supreme Court and lower courts have restricted the ability of states to limit donations to independent groups. And, and sort of there's, there's lots of, uh, it's hard for states to restrict donations under current uh, US Supreme Court case law. But there are two things I, I, I'd say are opportunities here. One, the US Supreme Court has also said that uh, disclosure uh, is okay under under the US Constitution, really robust disclosure requirements. And so even if this money's coming in, there are things that states can do to make sure that voters are fully aware of who is trying to influence their courts and who is giving their judges all this money, um, both from making sure that anyone spending this money is reporting who their donors are, but actually putting labels on ads about who the, who the original sources of the funding behind those ads are. Uh, and then the other thing, and this is a, an issue that's come up in this, this lawsuit that you mentioned, um, is the U.S. Supreme Court has also said pretty clearly in recent years that judges are different than other elected officials, even when judges are being elected, um, and that the government has unique interests in maintaining the public's trust in the judiciary. And for that reason, there might actually be things you can do with campaign finance limits when it comes to judicial elections that you can't do with other elections. And so while that that new law in Illinois is currently on hold. I think it's an open question as to how the U.S. Supreme Court would view it, because uh, Chief Justice John Roberts has written pretty clearly in his opinions that, as I said, judges are different and the same rules don't apply to regulations on judges that apply to other elected officials. So other than elections, what are some of the other ways that states use to uh, select judges? So one of the most common ways judges who are not elected, and even in states where judges are elected, but if there's an opening in the middle of the term, the way most judges are selected is through an appoint, uh, appointment by the governor. Um, and now appointment by the governor can also look a bunch of different ways. In some states, governors have total authority uh, to make an appointment. They can really choose whomever they want uh, and appoint them to the bench, maybe requiring approval by the legislature, maybe not. Uh, but in a number of states, governors, while they make the ultimate appointment, they actually have to choose from a list that's given to them by uh, a body that's sometimes called a judicial nominating commission. And that tends to be made up of lawyers and non-lawyers who are responsible for receiving applications and vetting candidates who want to be on, on states' courts. Uh, and those commissions, the devil's really in the details as to how those commissions are designed. Uh, in some states, the governor appoints everyone on the commission. And so really, what's the point? It's it's doing pretty much the same thing uh, a pure gubernatorial appointment would do. But in some states, there's a lot of diverse voices on those commissions. And the governors are really constrained in selecting from the list given them, to them by that commission. Uh, and so in some states, those commissions work really well uh, and keep out some of the um, some of the, the money and worst aspects of judicial elections that we see today. Now, you know, there are a lot of different values that people may be interested in when picking judges. Uh, as I mentioned, transparency was a big goal when states moved to elections and commission systems don't have the same amount of transparency um, because often their conversations are happening in ways that the public either can't or, or practically won't, even, won't ever really be aware of, of what, uh, what's going into the decision. Uh, and so any system needs to be designed to take into account these competing values, anti-corruption, transparency, quality of judicial candidates. Uh, but what's clear to me is that 
modern judicial elections probably aren't serving any of these goals. Okay. And can you tell about the quality of justice that comes out depending on how the judges are selected? I mean, uh, through that independent nominating commission or gubernatorial appointments, do you tend to get courts that act more independently than you do through other systems? You know, it's really hard to quantify the quality of judges. Uh, Researchers have looked at things like how often a judge's decisions are cited or how long the decisions are or or, um, the qualifications of judges before they reach the bench. And I think there's no no great measure of how good a judge is. But one thing that I, I am thinking about a lot these days in terms of public's trust in the courts is that the public needs to, they need to trust that a judge is, the public understands that judges come to the bench with their own political views, with their own interests and biases. Uh, we're all human and judges are human too. But the public needs to trust that a judge is willing and able, in at least some circumstances, to decide a case in a way that maybe doesn't conform to those interests or political perspectives or biases. A judge needs to be able to say, I wish the case was going to come out in this way, but I think the law requires it to come out in this other way. And the judicial elections today are making it harder for the public to think of judges that way. And likely the the process that goes into vetting who's actually going to run for judicial elections today probably also makes it harder for us to actually get judges who are able and willing to do that. Okay. So when you look around the country at the money that is flowing into judicial elections, I know there's been some concern about where the money's coming from and there are continuing trends in in that area. Uh, where is the money coming from, and what kind of dangers do the sources pose? So, the, I mean, one of the biggest dangers is that we know so little about where the money is coming from. Um, Illinois, uh, it's interesting, there is a lot of money, and potentially we'll see more money than any other state this year. Um, but the public actually has a good sense of where some of the money is coming from. You mentioned a large contribution from the governor, um, Dick Uline. Uh, one of the biggest Republican spenders in the country, uh, who also happens to be from Illinois, has been uh, leading spending, supporting conservative candidates. And so the transparency may be a little bit less of an issue in, in Illinois than some other states. But nationally, the, the leading spender in state Supreme Court elections over the last few cycles has been a group on the right, uh, the Republican State Leadership Committee's Judicial Fairness Initiative, and they spend in multiple states to support candidates on the right uh, reaching state high courts. But the way they report their spending uh, makes it almost impossible to know who's actually funding their judicial spending. Uh, We have some hints from IRS filings, which come out often after election day, um, that some of their money seems to be coming from the Judicial Crisis Network, which folks may be aware of as uh, the a leading group on the right that supports uh, nominees to the U.S. Supreme Court. And so anytime there's lobbying or ads around a U.S. Supreme Court vacancy, often uh, those those ads or that lobbying is being funded by the Judicial Crisis Network, which seems to also be funding the spending on state Supreme Court elections. Um, there's been less money on the left in recent cycles 
than on the right, but perhaps that will change in the near future as the importance of these courts becomes clear. And the money we are seeing, some of it is equally opaque. Um, there are uh, groups who uh, we cannot tell what the sources of their money are that are, are spending in, in some of the most competitive judicial elections in the country. And then in other states, there are groups on the left spending lots of money where you can, from their filings, you can get a sense of, of where their, their funds are coming from. Trial lawyers, uh, labor organizations, groups that we might anticipate would be spending in support of uh, judicial candidates on the left. And so to some extent we, we know, um, and both on the right and the left, these are groups who are very likely to have interests coming before state high courts, and that's likely why they're getting involved in these races. Um, but to a large extent, we don't know. Um, and the, the money we don't know concerns me even more because those also might be interests that are coming before the court and interests that seem particularly focused on shielding their name from public view. So what kind of selection process does the Brennan Center recommend? Have you found one that um, you think works best? So as I've said, there's, there's sort of a lot of values that you have to think about from transparency to anti-corruption to quality. Uh, and I think there's no perfect system. The, uh, the system that we would we generally recommend at this point is a publicly accountable appointment system. And so that it looks sort of like a nominating commission, but it's one that's designed very carefully to ensure that it has many different public perspectives on that commission and that its operations are uh, fairly transparent and that the public can know what is happening in those commissions meetings. Um, we think that that is the, in light of how judicial elections operate today, that, that, that is a better way of selecting judges. But we also recognize that judicial elections in a lot of states, they're, they're probably pretty sticky. Um, voters probably like uh, voting for judges, even if they don't know a lot about them. And it may be hard to move away from judicial elections. And so the, the recommendation we would make above anything else is that uh, in addition to, to sort of robust campaign finance protections like disclosure, or public financing, things like that, uh, if you, whether you're electing judges or you're appointing them, judges should be selected to a single lengthy term and not stand for reelection and not stand for reappointment. Because what the research shows is the most troubling aspects of all systems are when judges who are sitting on a bench currently are thinking about their next election or thinking about their next appointment, because that's when those thoughts start impacting how they're deciding cases. There's research showing that judges uh, sitting on the bench will are more likely to rule in favor of major donors in election years. They're more likely to rule in favor of political parties that support them in election years. And they are more likely to rule harshly in criminal cases because they are afraid of being portrayed as soft on crime in the next attack ad against them in their campaign. And it's these reselection pressures that are possibly the, the most troubling um, when it comes to sort of what the justice system is supposed to be doing and what it's not supposed to be doing. And so if I were giving advice to any state, I would say, uh, you know, if you're not willing to move away from judicial elections, at minimum, make sure that these pressures aren't on your judges while they're already sitting on the bench. Okay, Douglas Keith from the Brennan Center for Justice at New York University School of Law. Thank you for being here. Thanks so much for having me.
And that'll do it for this edition of Capital Cast. Capital Cast is a production of Capital News Illinois, a statehouse reporting project of the Illinois Press Foundation with funding from the Robert McCormick Foundation. Until next time, this is Peter Hancock saying stay safe and thank you for listening.